Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Philippians and what it looks like to live a joy-filled life in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Sue Ames and Sissy Wheeler. And Sue, would you please tell us a little bit about how you and Sissy know one another? Sure. Sissy and I have gotten to know each other because we both sing in the choir and were placed in the same small group on Wednesday morning Bible study. And when Sissy and I get together and sit next to each other in choir, we've been known to laugh a little too much and maybe get into a little bit of trouble. But she's a really fun friend to have. Well, I want to know what trouble in the choir looks like. Like, how can you be disciplined if you're too loud in the choir? Well, if you're not singing the right notes, and you're only laughing, <laughs> that might be one way. Well, y'all are free to laugh during the podcast today. Oh, good. Thank good. you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to start with our first things first question. I'm going to ask you the question and you will answer it and also give a brief bio on yourself. So our first things first question is, what was your first date ever? And Sue, again, you get to kick us off. Okay. So my first date ever would have to be Timmy Fitzgerald. Timmy. Timmy Fitzgerald. (laughs) So I was in seventh or eighth grade and played basketball against his sister. And he came to the game and thought I was cute, which is comical because I'm on the basketball court, sweating, no makeup, hair pulled back in a ponytail. And I can assure you, no cute, colorful bow. (laughs) We didn't really have very cute uniforms either. But he told his sister that he liked me and then asked me to go with him to a play. So my parents drove me to the school auditorium to meet Timmy to see a play, which we didn't actually go to, Uh but that is a story for another time. (laughs) So I didn't marry Timmy, but I did marry Phil Ames, and we've been married for about 40 years. I know, that is a long, long time. We have three children. One daughter lives in town, and two actually live in St. Louis. And the one daughter that is in town is pregnant with her first child and our first grandbaby. So So I'm really excited about this new season of life we're heading into. Very Very exciting times. My first date was set up by my cousin who was in junior college at a small community college close to where we grew up. And um, it was kind of a blind date, I guess, because I'd never seen him before. And uh, he lived in a small town about 12 miles from where I lived. So he had to drive down to Hackleburg to pick me up. And then uh, we drove up to Florence, Alabama to see a movie. And I don't remember what the movie was. I must have been so nervous. Mm. (laughs) Uh, But before we went to the movies, we went to McDonald's for dinner and that was such a big treat because McDonald's was a really big deal that long ago. Mm. Do you remember what you got? Uh, I probably I probably just got a hamburger and some fries but I probably didn't eat any of it you know because you don't eat in front of somebody you've just met. Oh (laughs) the real question is did he eat it because you didn't eat it because my boys would do that. Uh, (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. You know I don't remember but I'm sure he I'm sure he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I am married to Doug, uh, and we have been married six years. Uh, together, we have seven children and 18 grandchildren, and we have a great-granddaughter due in March, which we're very excited mm-hmm. about. Uh, one family is in Augusta. One family is in South Carolina. One family is in California, and one family is in Seattle, Washington. 
Uh, Doug's children live in Tennessee, North Carolina, and Alabama. I am a retired librarian. I love to travel with Doug and spend time with any of my grandchildren. I enjoy walking and playing tennis. I'm intrigued about the librarian because I have often thought, I think that that could be a very enjoyable occupation. Did you like it? I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked, I was in a elementary school first, mm-hmm. and the most fun was having the little kindergartners come in, and you could just be silly, and oh, I just, I, that part I loved. Uh, and then some Wednesday nights, I would go in moonlight at the junior college, and that was boring because nobody was uh, in there so yeah. but it was still fun that mixture of enjoying those books and then enjoying the people that came in and interacting exactly. with them it does sound really fun and right up your alley i could totally see you being a librarian hey, me mm-hmm. it's your next career. would i be a nice one or a mean one um you'd be you would be so nice i could see you being <laughs> <laughs> honestly i was just thinking like you were you'd be sitting there looking cute with your bun and your glasses reading a book <laughs> helping the people Thank you, Erin. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. My bun and my glasses. Okay. My first date. Sissy, first of all, we need to go pick up a tennis match. I haven't really played in 20 years, but it could be fun. But my first date, um, we were all on tennis team together. Actually, you know what? I guess my first date was some guy invited me to go to homecoming, and I didn't know anything about the dating world. My family was like, you can get married when you're 30. And I don't know. It was just, I didn't know the rules. So I think I showed up to this dance and was probably totally awkward. I don't know. We had a smelly sweater. That's really all I remember. <laughs> I would need my boys to listen to this <laughs> so that when I say people really do notice that and they yeah. know they don't. <laughs> I mean, yes. 30 yes, years later, do. I remember and the sweater. Notice and remember. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, my first date was... I guess you could call it a date. We weren't dating, but I went to prom with a friend of mine who I secretly liked, and he liked to be my friend, but I don't think he really Mm. wanted to be anything other than my friend. So I was sort of hoping that the prom date would turn things around, but instead he found somebody cuter than me that he thought was cuter than me that he danced with most of the time at prom. It was one of those very disappointing situations. His loss. Thank you, Erin. That makes me feel good. I've been carrying that baggage around really for 30 it. years. Really sad. I can now let that go. And I, and I can look back at that, of course, and laugh. It wasn't a huge deal to me, but it was disappointing. And when we go into disappointing circumstances, then oftentimes we feel that. And as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for the last two episodes, we have talked about some of the background to Philippians and where the Philippian believers, who are very real historical people, Paul the Apostle, very real historical person, where they find themselves at the time of the writing of this letter. Paul is writing to the Philippian church and Paul is in prison. He has been in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. His fellow Jews were angry at that, caused a big disturbance. He was arrested and now he's been transported most likely to Rome where he's awaiting an official hearing and the Philippian believers are far away from him. They are in a place where they are also experiencing some opposition from outside of the church, from inside of the church. I'm sure that they're potentially looking at Paul's circumstances and are wondering what is going on. Here's our spiritual father, someone who has proclaimed to us the goodness of Christ, whose life was committed to that. And now 
he seems to be bound up, unable to do the very thing that he is so desirous of doing and that we benefited from so much. So they have circumstances here that are disappointing, not what they would have expected. And that's why Paul is writing this letter in some ways to encourage them, to remind them of the gospel, of their participation in it, of all the good that is to be had in that gospel participation with him and with one another, despite what their circumstances look like. In our last episode, we talked about Paul's introduction to the letter, how he calls them saints, how he calls himself a servant, and just the love that he's expressing for their help for him and his confidence that their faith will continue on. And now we're moving into verses 12 through 30. Those are the verses we're going to be talking from today. If you're listening and you have not had a chance to read those verses, I would encourage you to hit the pause button, read them, then come back because you'll get more out of our conversation if you do. But the main thrust of Paul's argument here in these verses, the main thing he wants them to understand is when he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And then he goes on to talk about his how his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel, how even people who are preaching Christ actually is an attempt to oppose Paul and to make it more difficult for him, how the gospel is advancing through that, how even the threat of imminent death he sees as an advancement of the gospel. He believes that through life or through death, Christ will be exalted in his body. He has that hope. He has that courage. And he wants to give that to the Philippian believers as well by sharing what that has looked like in his life. So Aaron, as you consider what Paul is doing here in these verses, what is one way that you see that that's relevant to us today? So I think when we were looking at this passage and throughout Paul's letters, particularly this letter of Philippians, we hear this theme of to live as Christ. So we see him working that out here and he's writing to this city of Philippi, which we already talked about is these Roman citizens that are living there, super patriotic area. And they would have said, our citizenship comes with a lot of privileges and responsibilities and rights. And that is good. We have good king. We have things are flourishing for us like we're on the right side. And Paul's saying, "Okay, yeah, that's that's true. He's a Roman citizen as well. He knows that there are benefits that come along with that. But he's calling them to the better king. He's reminding them that Jesus is their true king. He's reminding them of who their identity is in in, as believers, where their true citizenship lies. And he's working this theme, I think, of corporate solidarity, which he would have been uh, familiar with as being a, a Hebrew student, like coming up as a Jewish boy, he would have learned this idea or would he wouldn't even have learned it i think it was just part of the mindset that you understand that as the nation of israel you have certain benefits because god is your your god and he is over you and um so he's expressing that through jesus because of what jesus has is done has done we have benefits through him we are in him as a corporate like he they very much had this corporate idea of who they were versus our american way of being very individualistic so i think he's expressing that to these people at philippi and reminding them that you are part of a body reminding them that the the unity and as he's asking them to look at their citizenship where it truly lies that you're giving up your status and privilege of being a roman citizen or having things that are good and inviting them to that paradigm of what is true life. And he's saying that we as people that have known the love of Jesus, we've been awakened from death 
Even though we were walking around, we've been awakened from death into life. We're walking in that life now and casting the vision for them that it is true life that we walk into in the resurrection power of Jesus. So he's spilling that out in the second chapter, which we'll get into the next in the next few weeks. But he's even here, I think, priming the pump and saying, this is true life to walk with Christ, to see his message go forth. And he's just calling them to remembrance of those things. He's he's saying effectually, like, you've known these things to be true. Bring them to the front of your mind. This is who you are. Go forth and do likewise. Yeah. And bring them to the front of your mind in the midst of circumstances that would seem to oppose that life in Christ, that would make that seem like maybe this isn't going the direction I had anticipated it would, or maybe it's not even going the direction God anticipated it would. Does God really want Paul to be bound in chains? Does he really want us to be experiencing the things that we're experiencing? And by want, I mean, did he really ordain that? Is that really part of how he's advancing his gospel? Surely not. And yet Paul's taking all the time to say, in the midst of all of these hard things, Christ, the good news of Christ is advancing. And so ladies, our question for you today to start off is, how have you seen God use difficult circumstances in your lives to help others know Christ more, to advance the good news of Christ? Or how have you been encouraged to know Christ more through the response of someone else who is going through a trial? So how has either your trial helped somebody know Christ more, or how have you grown to know Christ more through the trial of someone else? I was thinking about when my youngest daughter was in college and she decided that she wanted to go with crew to China to do a six-week stint. She was going to have to raise some support and she had to raise $5,000 and she did. And so she went and, you know, fell in love with the country and the, and, and the things that she was doing with crew. And so the following year, she got an opportunity to go back and she was going for a year and that was really uh, very difficult for me but uh, she had to raise twenty thousand dollars and in my mind I said oh I'm not worried about this because she's never going to raise twenty thousand dollars and so I felt relieved and to make a long story short she raised twenty thousand dollars plus and I realized really quick that God was God and I was not. Mm. And so she went for a year and then she came back and wanted to go back for another stint. And she did that as well. And I learned from that moment on that I wasn't in charge. God was and whatever his will for her life was, was what she was going to be led to do. Mm. And what listeners can't see that I can see is just the tears that come to your eyes as you're describing that. And as a mama, to see the Lord work like that in the life of your child and to see him be God that way, it is, it strikes a deep emotional chord with us. Just that gratitude that, wow, you care about my children. Lord, sweet. Well, I fractured my tibia and fibula at church six years ago in a freak accident. And your Brad was actually on the emergency response team and was great, was fabulous. So after surgery, a few days at the hospital, I returned home in a wheelchair and very needy, unable to do anything for myself. I needed ice. I needed food. I needed water. I needed a bucket to stick my foot into the ice. I needed help getting to PT. I needed help getting unstuck in the carpet in our house because (laughs) the wheelchair wheels would just spin and I would go nowhere. And I needed help constantly. And Phil met 
my every need, but he met my needs in a way that encouraged me to know Christ more. I'm kind of a list person, a to-do person. I like to write things down, cross them off, get things accomplished, and Phil's pretty much the same way. But Phil threw his list completely out the window for weeks and waited on me throughout every day and sometimes throughout the night. And he did it with kindness. He didn't do it grudgingly. He willingly and joyfully served me. And in this difficult circumstance, I was encouraged and reminded of God's generous and abundant nature toward us. He provides for us day and night. He's not stingy or holding back on us. And Phil gave me a small but tangible glimpse of Christ's generous and abundant nature toward us. Well, I love how when we're talking about just the advancement of the gospel, you could think it's just the advancement of a verbal explanation of the good news of Christ. And because in a lot of times, Paul was preaching the good news of Christ. How vital is that? Yes, incredibly vital. But you could think it's just that preaching of it. And yet that living of it, and you had that demonstration of the benefit that is yours in Christ, that preached gospel word, then by the power of the Spirit, brings you into Christ so that you experience all the benefits of Christ. And you think about Christ and his church. He's talked about as the bride and the groom and that tender care that Phil was able to demonstrate to you really is Christ caring for you through your husband in that way. And I hear you both are talking about a laying down of life, whether it was Phil laying down his preferences in his life for you or you surrendering to the Lord and saying, Lord, you are God and that is good. And I worship you and just giving your daughter the freedom to go and travel abroad, maybe places you weren't even a super big fan of her going, like, but you were able to surrender that to the Lord. And we, um, we see Paul playing that out and the peace and the rest that comes with that, or we have those difficult circumstances Paul is giving us here in his letter a proof text of things are not going swimmingly for him according to the world. Like he's in prison, things don't look that great. He's writing to the Philippians to say, you know, even though I'm in prison, this is through my heavenly lens, through my worldly lens, things do not look fantastic. But through the lens of Christ, I'm able to say like his work is being done. And he's effectively saying like your will be done, Lord, like I am here to serve you, to pour out my life for you. So as we are looking at this text, we see this phrase to live as Christ and to die as gain. Are there places where you are in your own life? Do you struggle to take hold of that? Is it something that comes easily for you? Let's that out a little bit. Well, I think Paul is saying here that the most important thing about his life is Christ and that everything revolves around that. So the part that I struggle with is where it says to live is Christ instead of to live is Sue. <laughs> I wake up every morning with my brain actively thinking and planning the Sue list of things to do. And every morning, I have to remind myself that it's not my life, but Christ's life. I have to work on yielding up my to-do list to God and asking what He has for me this day, not what I have for Him. Sunday morning, we sang the words, Who is given counsel to the Lord? A rhetorical question, of course, yet when I really think about it, I'm constantly giving 
counsel to the Lord. Lord, you're nudging me in this direction. I really think this direction might be better. And you want me to do this now? I think later is going to be better. So I struggle to yield up my ways, my thoughts, and my plans to his ways, his thoughts, and his plans. I need the constant reminder that I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And Christ humbly and willingly submitted to the Father's will at every moment of his life. And he is my example. Yeah, and and even just when you were saying that it's not my life, it's Christ's life, I thought it's because the life of Christ abides in you, you know, that you are tied with Christ, you are truly unified to Christ. And so, yes, he is our example, but he also is literally our life. We really do live through his ongoing work in our lives. And I, and, but I'm with you. I wake up thinking, what do I need to do to take care of me today? And some of that may be because I don't believe that I have real life in Christ. I mm-hmm. have life that I've got to create um, my own way. And so just to be reminded, I have life. Like I have, Christ has given me abundant life. Mm-hmm. I have life. It is you know, for me to live is Christ. But then can that then overflow to saying, okay, I surrender these other things that mm-hmm. I think will give me, mm-hmm. give me life instead. Especially, I think, when the the rubber hits the road and the hard times come. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I feel like if you wake up and things are going great and you don't have, you know, a broken leg or a child overseas or financial strife or whatever the situation may be, then it is easier to say things like to live as Christ. But I think when our hardship comes, then it really shows our true colors. Like, who are we leaning on? Who, yeah. who are we asking for help? Is it me having to show up in my own self-righteousness or my own self-sufficiency or do I truly lean into Christ and say, even though my life doesn't look that great right now, I have hope in Christ that this, even this, even this hard thing that the Lord is using for good. Yeah. And sometimes it is the big hard things like we would maybe count imprisonment as one of the big hard things. I'd, I'd put that up yeah. there. Top 10. But sometimes it's just the daily grind and the, the, the build of slight disappointments or discontentments or things we've lost and we feel it over the days, maybe not just one of those big major things, but just the day in, day out sometimes I think is challenging for us. What do you think, Sissy? I think my struggle is mostly with my children and I want to try to fix everything that's not right with them. I always want them to be happy and that's not practical and it's actually not really good for them, but I'm I want to be the one in control. And as I said earlier, um, I'm not in control. The Lord is. And so I have to remember that. But I don't do that easily. And I have grandchildren now and they're old enough. They're in school and now they have their little issues. And so there's, you know, something else I try to fix. But then I have to not say anything about that because they're not my children. It's just hard. Yeah. Which is probably why it makes you tear up to some degree, even just to remember back those times when the Lord showed you so forcefully uh, of of that fact that he is in charge and he yes. is providing for your kiddos. Yes. But I have gotten so much better about that as my walk with the Lord has progressed over, I would say, the last 10 years, especially the last five years. So I, I know that I've gotten better about that because now instead of thinking of, you know, what I want to do, then I, I do think of the Lord and I think, well, what should I do about this or how should I feel about this? Yeah. 
the longer you live in faith and by faith, the mm-hmm. the more we grow. And it is a process, though. Yeah, and I think just seeing the Lord's faithfulness over the years, it definitely reminds us, like, the Lord has been faithful to me all these other times. And I think that's part of His Word. Like, we read His Word knowing that throughout eternity, it's not just in my little life, a dot on the timeline, like, it's throughout eternity. We see that God is showing up, making a way, providing for His people, being faithful when we're unfaithful. So I think that is something that we have to constantly ground ourselves in the confidence of who God is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you see that in this passage as well, because I love that he's, Paul says, I'm confident that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And what that deliverance word translates as is my salvation. And of course, we initially think he's pretty confident he's going to get out of prison because people are praying for him. But that's not what he's implying, because he goes on to say, whether I live or whether I die, Christ will be exalted through either one of those things. But I love that as he is considering that as he is looking through that lens, he is trusting in the spirit of Christ through the prayers of his people to give him sufficient courage to live into that so that whether he does live or whether he dies, Christ is exalted in his body. And he that doesn't obviously come easy to Paul either. So I think sometimes we can be discouraged thinking, oh my gosh, that's so hard. But just to remember, it's the spirit of Christ in us. Mm-hmm. And through the par- prayers and encouragement of his people around us, we grow in our ability to say that. Um, so along those lines, then can y'all describe to me ways that you've known that to be true, where you have grown in your ability to say whatever happens, I eagerly expect that Christ will be exalted in my life. How have you seen the spirit of Christ and the prayers and encouragement of his people support you in that? As I thought about this question, I remembered different seasons in my life that were more of a struggle than others. Uh, It's the one I mentioned in question one. I trust God to be the Lord of my life and pray a lot. Having read these verses in Philippians 2 and studying them gives me a new perspective on living a life centered on Christ. I actually think I have a freedom to uh, enjoy my kids more because now I'm not concerned with giving them the right answer or coming up with the right answer, but I can just take this to the Lord as I do a lot of things. And I think my children have seen a difference. I'm not trying to control things as much as I used to, which is absolutely true. Mm. I get to enjoy my kids more. I think that's the bottom line is that it gives us joy when we have the perspective that Christ is Lord. He's proven that at the cross. He has shown us and given us a taste of that resurrection power. Like we've known our own hearts and lives to come to life. And so that we do have a glimpse of that perspective of what it looks like to experience true and abundant life like you were talking about earlier. So I think we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It only wants us to grow that perspective more and remember what kingdom we're really a part of that it's not Sue and Sissy and Amber and Aaron's kingdom at the end of the day. Like that's, that's horrible news. If we're in charge and that we're sovereign, the good news is that Jesus is sovereign over the world. And he has given us that, those fresh eyes and a fresh heart to desire that and to love that and to yield ourselves to his goodness. Yeah. And don't we want our kiddos to know that? Just hearing you say that is such an encouragement to me as a mom, because I could want my kids to think that I have utter control, but don't I really want them to believe the Lord is in control of their life? And if they think I cannot surrender control, then they they might not see as well that the Lord truly is in control. So I think sometimes as mamas, we think we've got to control all these things instead of giving them the gift of believing in a sovereign God. And I love the fact that it removes the pressure Mm, from us. mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you've moved from feeling this burden to, as Sissy pointed out, 
delighting in them Mm -hmm. and relaxing and enjoying them. And what a picture of God's perspective on us. And even the first question, what's the chief end of man? Mm -hmm. To enjoy Mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was a great answer and great insight. Well, there are lots of ways that God has worked in my life convincing and reminding me that he is at work for my salvation. On the way to the hospital after I broke my leg, I remember specifically two thoughts coming into my mind. The first one was from question one of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But this is the line that really stuck out in my mind. And he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. And the second thought was a line from a song that we had just sung for Evensong the week before. All is well. All is well. God reminded me in that moment and many additional moments of questioning, of his truth that not a hair can fall from my head outside of his will, and that all is well, and I needed to be reminded of that truth. And on a larger scale, I realized that I need to fill my mind and my heart with truth. My dad used to say all the time, garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) Such a bad thing. I I know. (laughs) You know, whatever you put into your mind through your reading, watching, listening, it affects us. And the opposite is true, too. If we put truth in, truth comes out. What I need is to be intentional in putting God's word, God's perspective, God's enduring principles into my life, and that convinces me of his goodness in difficult times, and I need those reminders. Me too. My song that often goes through my head is, uh, it is well with my soul, you know, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And it was written by someone whose family had just died. And as he was mourning, grieving that, he was on a ship just watching the waves, just the up and down of the waves. And so I just think of that sorrows like sea billows roll, just knowing that feeling of that continual rolling in of those sorrows. And yet it was well with his soul. What Christ had done for him, who he was in Christ, had made it well with his soul. And I think that's what Paul is doing here in these verses is he's putting truth in. Like you said, Sue, he's reminding them that they have life in Christ. And this is what life in Christ looks like. He can attest to it. In the hardest of places, this is life in Christ. And he wants to put that truth into their minds and hearts here in this little letter. As he moves further along, we're going to see he's he's wanting to encourage them in ways that that truth can come out, in ways that that's going to inform how they live. But before he gets to the what to do, he really does want them to know what is true. And so he wants them to see through his own life what life in Christ is. What a delight it is to, I think, have that perspective of knowing that Jesus is Lord and to follow him and to willfully yield to his goodness. Sue and Sissy, thank you for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you'll join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you're washing the dishes or shopping for your Valentine. Sean Brower and Milligan Williams will be joining us to talk about Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. We hope you'll listen in. 
Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain. 